0: Uh, so let's let's have a word of prayer and we we'll get into the text. Father, this uh, we we've, we've already prayed this morning for for the girls who come uh, used to come regularly on the band and, and are beginning to to uh, kind of uh, stall in that, and uh, we're just reminded again that unless the Lord builds the house, the labor they labor in vain who do build it. Uh, this ministry, this little church here—we're we're not even a little church, we're a tiny church—and and, uh, but it is—it uh, doesn't escape your notice, and it's your work. But we we recognize that, as Debbie was just reminding us, that if we if we feel like we have to have our way, or that it's going to be our strength or our energy that makes it happen. As the world likes to say, if it's to be, it's up to me. If that's our attitude, we've already lost. So we recognize, even as I pray right now, even in this moment, as we open your word here for the next few minutes in this class, and, and then again this morning in <clears throat> the service, unless you open our eyes, and unless you speak to us from the word, and unless you open the heavens and, and bring down to us the 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 bread from heaven, we will leave you hungry and unsatisfied. And so I pray that you would open your word to us uh, this morning and we um, understand, I very, very well understand that the value in, in this is not, or the power of change is not in the vessel. It's not in me, it's not in, in our ability as a class to discuss this and come to a greater understanding, really, but it is in your spirit and, and in your grace, and so we ask that you would graciously open your Word. Yes, in Jesus' name. Amen. John eight. Things are beginning to uh, to get darker. The ministry of Jesus has run its full full course for the most part. Uh, we're, remember, we're in the fall of the year before the spring. We're coming up, uh, Dad and I were talking about future plans on the calendar, by the way. We've got a lot coming up. we got a big picture Sunday at the end of this month. Okay. Yeah, it's right there. we got BBS too. We'll probably start that in April. Um, we've got, uh, got uh, Easter also is right on the calendar. It's for Sunday in, in April. Prior, choir practice coming up, yep. So the point is, though, as we look at the calendar, our calendar, we do have Easter coming up, and that's the first Sunday of April. And it happens to coincide with, with uh, chapter 12, where Jesus is Passover, Jesus is coming back to uh, Judea, to Jerusalem particularly, and in triumphal entry happens uh, a, week, a week or so before. But this is the fall of the year before those events okay so he has already been in ministry for about two and a half years if i like to think of it like i think it was john that said this and that's a good illustration john johnny mack right pastor Mac. um it's like the sun you know it comes up in the morning and it runs its circuit through the day and as it's getting Later in the evening, it's not totally dark yet, but the shadows are getting longer and it's getting darker out, and that's kind of the sense that we feel here. And you'll you'll really feel that as we move uh, further into these chapters, right up to chapter twelve. Chapter twelve is is John's the end of John's account of Jesus's public ministry. Right? from that point on, there's a key verse there in chapter twelve. I think it's uh, thirty-two. Where it says that he, or 36, he went uh, after he said these things. He went away and hid himself. He yeah. basically is warning everybody: walk in the light while you have the light. Okay. Well, here this chapter eight starts that light of the world, but there's a there's a caveat that comes with it, and we're going to see that it's, there's a there's a weight, a responsibility, if, if you will. That continues from this point forward very very heavily and grows and grows until chapter twelve, and then even past that point uh, with his disciples, where he is he even turns this little warning to them, and that is effectively, um, I'm not here forever, okay? I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not this opportunity to to learn from me and to walk in the light is not around forever, and uh, and so that's kind of um, that's kind of where the text that we're moving into the notes I'm working on talk about that at length um, but as the light of the world and this is kind of the, the main point of the of the the notes that we're finishing up here um, you know Paul says in second we looked at 2 Corinthians 5 12 through 16 and Paul basically says in there you know when we were when we were in the flesh in other words when we before Christ, we looked at, at things from a temporal point of view, right? We 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 are in the world and you think like the world and you you know you, you act that way and, and you know people in the world disagree about things on the surface and they fight and bicker and whatever. But, the, but at the end of the day, everybody in the world sees things from a temporal point of view. That's the one thing they have in common, right? They don't they don't think about eternal things. We don't we don't learn to see things from an outside perspective. Um, that's why I was excited um, last Sunday evening when, when Danny spoke up, yeah. you know, at the study. Really, really excited by that. And, and because the things that he was saying there are not normal things that people just realize, okay? You have to kind of come out of your pride for a little while to recognize the fact that maybe just maybe God really truly is bigger than you are. Right, and that there are a lot of things in this world that you chalk up to to just chaos or stupidity or you know gripe about it because it just doesn't make sense to you. But in fact, it may actually make sense. It's just above your head. But pride keeps us from thinking that. Instead, we like to say, "Well, it's chaos," you know, or it's just. Good example. You know. of yes. Going on right now. Yes. Right. Right right a lot of of people get hung up in that and and, uh anyway uh and and we do too we lose sight of that but the point is and paul is paul is saying there and, and it's relevant to to our text here because what jesus is saying by saying that i'm the light of the world and then he he tells them he tells them that that i and the father are two witnesses right so he is the heavenly witness he has come now to turn the light on, to tell us the truth about the way things really are. Okay, I think that's probably the best definition of what what is truth. Pilate asked that, what is truth? And the answer to that is it's the way things really are. Not the way you want them to be, not even the way you perceive them to be, but the way they really are. And our problem is we're born in sin, and that's what it means by being in the flesh, and the flesh blinds us. We are born with a skewed perspective, with the inability to properly reason and understand and come to the right conclusion and and to see things the right way, All right? So so Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5, I really like that because it's almost like commentary on what Jesus has been saying here, where, where he Jesus comes to them and says, effectively, in chapter 7, he says, stop judging by appearances. And he comes back around to that um, here uh, with them. All right. And let me just uh, kind of look at those verses real quick. Uh, look at verse 16. This is in chapter 8. Verse 15, I judge, uh, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. All right. So Jesus comes back around to that accusation to these Jewish leaders that they are seeing things the wrong end around, okay? Uh, A minute ago, we were just talking about not letting the problems of your life control you, control you, right, And, 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 and being a source of devastation and despair. And I like to say, um, in relationship to that, the illustration that comes to my mind is: you ever, you ever had a pair of binoculars? <clears throat> and particularly as a kid, you know, you like to maybe experiment with things. And, well, what happens if I look through the wrong end? You ever done that? You take binoculars, and you turn around the other way. Go, I'm gonna look this way. Well, what, what does it do to your view? Way out
1: the first wow.
0: Yeah. We're kind of born into the, into the world seeing that, thinking that way and seeing life through that perspective. And so I like to say that if your problems look too big, it's because your view of God is too small. You're looking through the wrong end of the binoculars, okay? Um, and you're making God looks too small to handle these huge problems. Flip those things around and see it the way it really is. That's what Jesus is here to do. And Paul says that picks up on that in 2 Corinthians 5, 12 through 16, which we looked at, right? And Paul says, though we thought one time according to the flesh, we now, now that we're in Christ, we don't regard anyone that way, right? And the same with him, too. We once Paul once despised Jesus, right? He despised him and he despised his followers. And he thought he was doing God a favor by locking them up and even having them put to death. And when he, when the binoculars got turned around for Paul on the road to Damascus, he couldn't eat for three days. It wasn't an intentional uh, fast. He could not eat. He didn't want any food. He was so just in shock and in awe and in, in um, it's almost hard to put in words exactly, you know, just... To to realize that all those years, that system of Judaism, that religious game that they had created in which he was such a good player, as he says later on, many years later about that, he says, I count it as minstrel rags, literally, okay? I count it as minstrel rags compared to the value of knowing Christ, right? When the binoculars got turned around, ironically, he was blinded physically, but he was open. His eyes were open spiritually. And he began to see the Son of God in all his glory and behold the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus. And and, and that just was three days of just flat. It probably didn't even seem like three days to him. It was just wrestling and fighting with that. I can't believe how wrong that was, right? You got the binoculars. Turn around the right way. That's what happens when you meet the light of the world. But as we've been saying too, along with this, and, and this is the point of the next chapter. Okay, but Jesus is going to say again the second time, "I am the light of the world." Okay, he says it twice. He says it once in chapter eight. He's going to say it again in nine. But in chapter nine, after after the teaching of chapter eight, he's going to say it again, and then comes the illustration, because the man who was born blind, is healed by Jesus, and he begins to see also physically, and he gets to the point where he worships Jesus, which is really interesting, because as far as I can tell, there's nobody else in the Gospel of John who actually does that, at least explicitly. The woman at the well arguably did. doesn't say that in the text, though, but the actions look like she may have. Um, Mary, possibly, when she poured out the oil that's coming in chapter 12 um, is an act of worship but it says explicitly in the text he worshiped him how did that man get to that state there's only one way and that is not only number number one not only can does the light need to turn on right god if god never revealed the truth to us about the things that really matter right the invisible things that we can't see any other way yeah. if he never did that we would stay in darkness forever. So he has to turn the light on In other words, God has to reveal himself to us or he'll remain invisible. But that's not enough. Secondly, we also need to have the ability to see it. The sun is out there shining right now, but if a person is... You know, we have legally blind, right? And I learned that there's different grades of blindness. I had a friend in California who was legally blind. His glasses were like literally like that thick. They were like little binoculars. You know, he inherited it from his mom that had really bad eyes. And um, anyway, but he could still see, you know, if he had his, but we're talking about somebody that's like flat blind, which cannot see. You can take that person out in the bright sunshine, they to them. It's, it's not sunny out. You see what I'm saying? But if they feel the heat. They feel the heat, yeah, yeah. But they can't see it. But, 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 but the point of the illustration is right. you need both things, right? The sun needs to be shining, and you also need to have the ability to see it. Both things have to come together in order for the full experience to come home, right? And that's the truth. That's the way the truth is with the gospel. And Jesus is warning as you'll you'll feel this you'll feel this as we move through these chapters from this point on how the shadows are growing longer and longer and the warning the heaviness of this warning is there that there's this limited time offer okay that is you only have so much time and this is kind of the notes i'm working on we're going to talk more about that next time but anyway that's where we are and uh The Pharisees judge by appearances. Again, that's what we looked at last time. Stop judging by appearances. Jesus has established his credentials as a valid witness. Okay? The stage is set. And now, as we get into verse 20, we start verse... The next text we're going to look at, the last set of notes, is verses 21 through 30. Okay? So let's have... um, Let's kind of read that. As from this point on... 21 now to the end of the chapter and actually not just in the chapter right on into chapter 10 okay Uh, we get the illustration of the blind man in the middle but then that becomes a launching point for Jesus to then turn the light back on to continue his warning to these leaders about the truth of their condition they like Nicodemus in chapter 3 think they are okay with god and they are citizens of the kingdom of god and they are on their way to hell they are absolutely convinced of that and jesus turns the light on and says absolutely not you're headed to hell you are not sons of abraham you are not sons of god you are sons of the devil and that is the truth that's the way things really are And it's going to continue on to chapter 10. But it starts here in verse 21. But it's important, again, that he has established the credentials of who he is. And now he's going to pick up on what has just been said about him and the Father. Verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Okay? Uh, and Jesus answered, verse uh, verse 19, they, they say, where is your father? They don't get it, right? They're, they're still judging by outward appearances. They think they're not sure what he's talking about, really. Uh, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. Let me just mention in passing. I didn't mention it earlier. But that is, he's not talking about, they didn't know about the father because they knew the scriptures. Jesus had already told them in chapter 5, so... Probably one of the most important verses in all of John, actually. Uh, Verses, uh, I believe it's five thirty-nine and 40. He says, um, you search the scriptures diligently, right? You you labor in the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are they which speak of me, and you will come to me that you may have life. And that verse has really stuck with me, and it should stick with you as we unfold all this, because it is a warning. That it's not just enough to know about God. You don't just need to know about the gospel. You may even believe facts about Jesus that there was an historical Jesus. He went to a cross. He rose again, and he died for my sins. And yeah, I'm I, yeah, I, I'm good with that. I'm gonna say something that's kind of shocking here, and I've, I've checked and checked and checked and rechecked this. And as far as I can tell, this is a biblical statement. It doesn't sound like it at first. The power of the gospel is not in the gospel. The power of the gospel is in Jesus. Because the gospel is a message about him. Let me put it more succinctly. The gospel is Jesus gospel is him okay we're gonna see that in this text he's gonna flat out say that in fact that's that's kind of the title of the next notes um, is um, believe that I am unless you believe that I am he's what it says in the English you will die in your sins it's not enough to have the facts right you can believe you can hear the gospel you can even say you believe it and think you believe it, and still be lost. Wow. All right. So let's uh, let's get started on this text here. Uh, verses twenty one.
1: What chapter
0: are we on? Eight. Chapter eight. John eight. You. Uh, on your notes there. Just we're just walking through the chapter. Um, verse twenty one. Uh, through. Yeah, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and, and conquer that whole text. Somebody, somebody read that for us. It's a big chunk there.
1: Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, You are from below i am from above you're of this world i am not of this world therefore i said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that i am he you will die in your sins and so they were saying to him who are you jesus said to them what have i been saying to you from the beginning i have many things to speak and to judge concerning you But he who sent me is true and the things which i heard from him these i speak to the world they do not realize that he had been speaking to them about the father so jesus said when you lift up the son of man then you will know that i am he and i do nothing on my own initiative but i speak these things as the father taught me and he who sent me is with me and he has not left me alone For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Thank you. Have we heard verse 21, those words
0: before? I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going...
1: Okay. we heard that before mm-hmm. yeah where we heard that mm-hmm.
0: that's right go back to, to verse uh, 34 of the previous chapter that would be chapter 7 okay. <laughs> you will seek me and you will not find me where I'm going you cannot come um Look at their reaction since we're here, okay. Um, actually, let's look back up to verse 33. Jesus then said, "I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me." Do you, do you hear that? Do you see the shadows growing longer? You hear the the limited time offer there. I'm only here a short period of time longer. In chapter 12, he's really it's really going to come home. He's going to crystallize everything uh, uh, very very clearly. In chapter 12, where he says walk in the light while you have it, okay? You know, I can't say any clearer than that. And, and then he says here, I'm going away, but the sad news here is where I'm going, you cannot come. Um, we'll talk about this next time. I, I'm, I'm working on these notes, like I say. And I got to thinking about that because this isn't the last time he's going to say it even, <clears throat> Okay. The next time we encounter this same saying will be in chapters chapter 14. Actually, let's see, chapter 13, tail end of chapter 13, and then it bleeds into 14. So 14 is very famous in that whole section, early part. You, you, Dad knows this very well. He's, he uses this a lot when he goes to hospitals, you know, um, uh, let not your hearts be troubled where I'm going you know, go to prepare a place for you and all that. You know what comes before that? Why does he say, don't let your hearts be troubled? Go away. Let me tell you why. Okay. Have you ever had the experience of watching somebody go on a trip to a place you would love to go yourself, knowing that you can't go with them? Okay. I was uh, even this morning, I was thinking about that. And then this morning, some. Google Photos pops up occasionally with, you know, I, I don't know, they have some software that uses picture facial recognition, and they'll group things together in a little series of pictures, you know, from from years, and, and it pulled together this little collage of pictures of, of our two girls together, right, over the years, and, and I'm, I'm flipping through these 15 mm-hmm. pictures, and it was just bringing back all a flood of memories, you know, and one of them in there, which I could had time to put it up, uh, yeah, anyway, it's... Uh, it, it shows sabrina and brianna in an airport this was the charlotte airport some years ago when sabrina was we were sending her off to italy for the first time i think it was the first time i think it was the first time and there's a picture of her and her and her sister and sabrina's got this big smile on she's all beaming you know And but brianna has this yeah, yeah this look yeah. You Know and and and, and she's Same trying to
1: smile.
0: To she's trying to smile, and and there's 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 like tears in her eyes. You know, it's it's a very graphic picture, and uh, you know, but it was it really captures visually this feeling. It's a hard feeling to put in words, isn't it? When you see somebody, you're at the airport, airports are a good example of this. It didn't have to be an airport, it could be. They're packing up the car early morning, right? And, and they're leaving. And you see them as they drive off and the taillights are going. And you just, your heart is like ripping out of your chest, right? You want so bad to be with them, to go where they're going. Now imagine that you're the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and these religious leaders and the scribes, these people who whose whole life revolves around the excitement and the joy that one day I'm going to be with Abraham, Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we're going to sit at the feast with God, this covenant-making God. And, and, And as a son of Abraham, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to participate with that, and that's going to be my home forever. And then this weird guy from Galilee comes along and says, unless you're born again, you will enter the kingdom. Nicodemus, you're not on your way where you think you are. You're that one standing in the airport watching other people from the east, west, north, and south come and sit with your patriarchs at the feast, and you yourselves are cast out. Rich man and Lazarus. Talk about loneliness and disappointment. And that almost indescribable feeling of being left out and lost opportunity. Well, Jesus is going to say this same thing to them. The same feeling is going to crop up again in chapter end of chapter 13, near the end of chapter 13, where he says to his disciples, "I, uh, as I told the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So I say now to you. And then he said his he little short thing there. He says, "A new commandment I give you: You love one another." And yes. and Peter just like totally tunes out. I mean, it's like Peter. Yeah. And I think the rest <laughs> of the disciples stopped listening after that point. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter comes back and says, "Lord, where are you going that yeah. we can't come?" He yeah. looks so calm in the text. But when you read all of that, we'll see it. I don't want to spoil the thunder, but when you keep reading all of that, the whole chapters, all the way on to verse to chapter sixteen, he has to keep coming back to calming them down. They, I almost feel like if I was making a movie. Jesus would have to raise his voice because there's all this chatter going on, and they're just, it's just shock and 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 maybe tears and frustration and some anger, and they just think, what are you talking? What are you talking about? Where are you going? We, we thought that this was the kingdom. We're going to bring the kingdom now. Come on. This is what do you mean? The last three years. What's that all about? Right? And that's in the middle of that when he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going away. You cannot come right now. You will come later. I will come back, receive you to myself. I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He'll be your guide and your comfort while I'm gone. It's actually better for you that I go away, right? So, the difference is what's shocking about that to me as I've been studying all this is that he comes back with those words, fantastic, seminal words of comfort and hope for his disciples right after telling them that where I'm going, you cannot come. He follows that on by, by calming them down and saying, don't be stressed out about it. It's, it's good for you that, that, that I'm not doing, you know, that, I, that, I'm, that this is happening this way. And don't worry, I'm coming back. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to pre- It doesn't make sense for me to go prepare a place for you and just leave it empty, right? I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me that where I am you may be also. Very comforting words. He never says that to these leaders. In fact, it's just the opposite. You heard it right here, right? We just read it. You will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. In chapter 7, there, where we are, well, we were just looking at that, verse uh, 33 and 34. Look at their reaction in verse 35. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? <clears throat> they don't even bother to ask him directly. We would kind of think maybe maybe we ought to ask him what he means, right? But... They don't. And notice also, I I, th- I find this really interesting. This happens a number of times in John, by the way, where there are people that show show their disdain for Jesus because they can't even say his name. We saw that at, the first time I remember seeing that was in chapter three, second half of chapter 3, where the disciples of John the Baptist come to him and say, you know that man across the, the river over there, that one that you said, that they can't say his name, you know? They just they can't even get his name out that they, they despise him so much. And here it's the same thing. That man, what does that man, do, verse 35, what does this man intend uh, to go? that We can't find him. Now here, what's interesting about this particular thing is they're sort of, they're pondering. it. So the first time that this comes up, this idea that Jesus is going to a place where they can't come and that they will seek him. And not be able to find him, and not be able to get there. Um, in other words, he's going somewhere they want to go, and they can't come with him. The first time that comes up, they're, they're what is he talking about? And, it's, and they're talking about themselves. They ponder it, they think it through, and and, and the sort of the the leading theory is that well, maybe he's going to leave Judea, and he's going to go to the dysphoria. The dysphoria is um, is is a I believe it's a Greek term, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then it, it means the dispersion. It was it was um, in 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 Jewish in the Jewish mind the dysphoria was the dispersion of Jews into the gentile world, okay, where where they have they sort of intermingled with them and lived with them. And and this particularly was strong after 70 a.d and the destruction of the temple and the nation was destroyed effectively we're still living in the dysphoria it's interesting that jews are beginning to come back now to the homeland okay so that seems to be reversing but the dysphoria means that it means jews who live abroad in the gentile world okay so so and and they kind of looked down their nose at those kinds of people um because you know they're they're so far from the center of Judaism and the worship of God in the temple right and, and, and even you, know, you may have a synagogue up there but you you're kind of the further you get away from the action, the less exposure you have to to us and to our doctrine and the latest thinking and theology and what's going on you know look at their reaction though here flip back to chapter eight. Because the second time now that he warns them about this, they have been doing some thinking about it, and they've come to a conclusion. What's their conclusion here? Verse
1: 22.
0: So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going and cannot come? They want rid of him anyway, suicide. so they're hoping.
1: <clears throat> Is
0: that, I said they want rid of him anyway, so they're hoping that he's going to do it himself. I guess. Yeah, right,
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Free us of the responsibility. Yeah. Right. Would you say death? that? But <clears throat> the, the they're accusing you of committing suicide. Yes, that, that's the way that they can't conceive of how they, they couldn't follow him. The suicide, they need to be going to hell. Oh. That's yeah. exactly right. It t- to us, it seems very innocuous.
0: This is actually a huge insult. So you see, the response in in, in chapter seven was it was it was kind of a little innocent, maybe. Where does he Where is he planning to go? Is he going to the to the Greek world? You know, where where some other Jews are. And by the way, there was a there was a large uh, community, large and very active community of of Jews still living in Egypt at this time okay seems to be where Joseph and Mary went when they you know when they fled a Christmas story you know, talk about you know they fled to Egypt you kind of tend to think maybe that they went down there and that there weren't any of the Jews around that's not true they, they went there to a very established Jewish community that was already down there very active thriving economically prosperous Jewish community that that was living there in Egypt um, you know, so that could be one place they have in mind. Could be some other places where there are, are knots of Jews around in various places. That's kind of an, an, an innocent working theory in chapter 7. But by this point, what they're saying is this, okay, that the Jews believe that when you committed suicide, that was it. You were on, that was a guarantee, go to hell, do not collect $200, You go to hell. No matter what else you've done, you go to hell. You commit suicide, you go to hell. Well, clearly, we are not going to hell. We are going to the kingdom of God. We're going to heaven. So this man must be saying that he is going to commit suicide and go straight to hell because we're not going there. So that must be what he He (laughs) is. How about that? (laughs) You see how hard their hearts have become between chapter 7 and chapter 8. Chapter 7, well, maybe he's going to the Gentiles. Chapter 8, oh, clearly he's going to hell. He's going to hell. You're standing before the Son of God, and you're telling him he's going to hell. When Jesus you know, we, we use that as a. This has always been. Just, just, just. I got to tell you this, because this, this gives us a little idea of the power of this one that they're tell, they're saying this about. In Revelation it says that you know when he returns, that apparently, <clears throat> best I can tell, I could be wrong. Best I can tell though, he returns, physically comes to the earth right, and it comes at the battle of Arm of Armageddon. And the forces of the Antichrist and the false prophet are gathered against him. They're nothing to him. It doesn't even say the saints come with him, the angels come with him. We'll be there. Okay. Um, But we don't fight. He uses the sword that comes out of his mouth and he does all the fighting himself. (laughs) Okay. He kills the armies. But apparently, the Antichrist and the false prophet. I'd like to sign up as part of the crew that goes to arrest those two. <laughs> put my my hand up now, okay? They're brought to him, and they are the first two. They they bypass the white throne judgment, and they're the first two thrown alive straight into the lake of fire. We have a we have a little phrase in our culture today. You know, we'll say, somebody get mad at somebody, and you say, well, go to hell, right? When Jesus tells you to go to hell, go. you actually go to hell. Yeah. Wow, man, I, I feel chilled now. I mean, he he literally, they, they're brought before him, and he says effectively, whatever else he might say, go to hell. And they go to hell right there. Can you imagine that power? And here, but here they, the Pharisees are standing before that same one and they say, well, you're the one who's going to hell because we're clearly going to heaven. and you know, We're not going to hell, but you are. Wow. This is why Jesus has such strong words for them flowing from this point forward. Such a strong, strong warning. And it continues to grow in heat and pressure and stress between these two viewpoints to the end of the chapter, where they're going to pick up stones to stone him. They lose their minds, lose their minds, and, and, and anger. Due to the power of deception, really does. All right, that's probably a good stopping point there. Uh, and we'll talk about it. the notes next time. Will be be about that, but it's a it's a. Um, as I was thinking about this, it's a very powerful feeling to be left out of something you really want to be a part of, right? Somebody's going on a trip like that, and, and they're going somewhere. You know, I really, really look forward to going to Europe, and and I, I miss Sabrina. I really, but it was it's hard to see her, you know, she's going through the gates there. You've been at airports, right? And you're the one who's sending somebody off, and, and but you can't go with them, right? Uh, or maybe they're getting on a, on a cruise ship, and they're waving to you from, from the bow as the ship is pulling away, you know, or the, the doors close for the final time to give him a hug, doors close in the car and the taillights going down the driveway out the, out the neighborhood, right? It's kind of a sad and lonely feeling, but imagine being the one to be left out of the kingdom of God. To be so sure that you're in right, that you have your ticket, and you come right to the gate as as they're boarding, and the final call is coming to board the plane, what do you mean my ticket is invalid? I can't get on the flight? What do you mean? And there's no other flight. You can't reschedule, you know. There's no hope. That's That's a powerful, powerful warning that Jesus is giving not just to them, but to anyone and everyone who refuses to walk in the light while they have it. <clears throat> Father, it's a it's a sobering warning, and uh, um, I, I don't believe anyone in this room isn't a believer, a true believer, but you are the one who knows the heart. And uh, boy, there are some scary warnings, not only here in John, but we're going to look next time at Matthew and really probably the Luke equivalent of of this um, Sermon on the Mount where many will say, Lord, Lord, and I will tell them, depart from me. I never knew. you." I pray that none of us ever get to hear that. That is just just the worst. I think that's going to be the worst part of hell: is to be forever in that state of realizing that you've lost the opportunity forever. And it's never coming back. The door is closed. The ark of the, the door is closed. In fact, you say in the in the parable there in both Matthew and Luke that that the uh, the owner of the feast I think it's Luke actually gets up, and the master of the feast gets up and shuts the door. And once that opportunity is gone, it's gone. And so I pray that that we would take the warning to heart and also warn others. Lord, open many hearts and eyes. It's it's not enough that the world that the light of the world is shining. You are. You we just looked at it. We also need for you to open many blind eyes,
1: including our own. Amen. And we pray this in Jesus' name.